Section 1 of an inaugural dissertation on pulmonary consumption. This is a Librox recording, all Librox recordings in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librox.org. An inaugural dissertation on pulmonary consumption. Section 1. Consumption characteristics and causation. Inaugural dissertation on pulmonary consumption. The term physis, or consumption, in its broadest sense, is applied to all those diseases in which the system sinks under a gradual waste of the powers of life. These diseases may be divided into two great classes. 1. That form of consumption in which the lungs are unaffected. 2. Phthisis, pulmonalis, properly so called, where the lungs are the seat of the disease. Under the first class are included 1. Atrophia, or consumption from want or nourishment, or excessive evacuations, but without hectic fever, excluding all those forms of disease produced by immoderate evacuations in which the lungs become affected. 2. Tabies, accompanied with hectic fever, frequently attended with the disease of the mesenteric glands and produced most commonly by scrofula. The second class, Phthysis pulmonalis, to the consideration of which this essay will be more immediately confined, may be also subdivided into 1. Primary, for the lungs the original seat of the disease and as a consequence the general system becomes affected. 2. Secondary, for the system being first reduced by any debilitating cause the lungs become secondarily affected as a symptom of the general disease. These two forms of consumption, although somewhat similar in their symptoms, yet proceed from opposite causes and require opposite treatment. The one is a disease of pure inflammation, the other of unmixed debility. In the one, an active antiphlogistic treatment is necessary. In the other, the system requires all the support which tonics and good nourishment can afford. Phthysis pulmonalis is thus defined by Dr. Cullen. Corpores demasiato et debilitas cum tusi febre hectica et expectorationae purulenta. This disease is peculiarly incorrect because it leads us to neglect the first stage of the disease. If the symptoms of an incipient phthysis were stated to us, we were asked, what was the disease? From this definition, we would be perfectly at a loss for an answer. Except the cough, None of the symptoms there stated are to be found in the first stage of consumption, and yet that is as truly a part of it, and of as much importance to the practitioner as the last stage, which alone is included in Cullen's definition. Agreeably to this definition, in his view of physis pulmonalis, Dr. Cullen makes ulceration of the lungs and a hectic fever essential to its existence, and seems rather to consider the preceding symptoms a cause of this ulceration and fever than as consulting an integrant part of the disease nor is the place assigned by him to physis pulmonalis in his nosological arrangement more correct than his definition of it. He places it in the order hemorrhages and considers it merely as a consequence of hemoptysis. Even if it were always excited by hemorrhage from the lungs, it would be improperly thus placed, but as that, even by Dr. Cullen, is considered merely as one among many exciting causes, the arrangement is altogether inadmissible. But if it be admitted, according to the view which will be hereafter taken of hemoptysis, in this treatise, that it is rather a symptom than a cause of consumption. The propriety of another arrangement will be evident. Accordingly, Phthysis pulmonalis is placed by Dr. Hosek as one of the phlegm. This disposition appears to be the most proper that has hitherto been suggested, and as such I shall adopt it. But before we can ascertain the character and treatment of any disease, it is necessary minutely to examine their causes and symptoms. Primary Phthysis pulmonalis first claims our attention, its predisposing causes may be mostly arranged into five classes, as they depend on organisation, age, sex, occupation and climate. 
organization predisposes to consumption by malconformation of the chest, which may be either natural or accidental, and an hereditary internal structure not depending on the external form of the thorax, for it is observed that in some instances those who have every part of the external configuration, such as is generally attributed to persons predisposed to consumption, yet shall be free from this disease, while on the other hand, some whose chests are externally perfectly well formed have been subject to catarrhal and inflammatory complaints of the lungs, terminating in phthisis, the form of chest peculiar to many phthysical patients. Quote, is occasioned by the external or breastbone being pressed too much in upon the substance of the lungs, thus the clavicles and shoulder blades are thrust out of their proper position and made to assume, in some measure, the form of wings, to which indeed they have been with propriety compared, just raised from the body and about to expand for flight. By this internal direction of the sternum, the full expansion and proper sweep of the ribs is likewise prevented, and an unnatural curvature of prominence is occasioned on either side of the breast with the corresponding central depression. End quote. Quotation from Dr. Reed. This is the peculiar form to which the term narrow chest is generally applied. A flattened or any other unnatural figure of the chest may produce the same injury. The thorax may become accidentally malformed from any violence done to it, particularly during infancy. A frequent source of it is the mode of fashionable dress adopted by females, the corset, to which I allude, when worn only with moderate firmness, and by those not otherwise predisposed to phthysis, serves but to add elegance and beauty to the female figure. But when applied with the object of converting into a delicate and slender waist, one naturally otherwise, it cannot but do injury. By a moderate pressure, it converts a well-formed chest into the deformed and narrow one, or at least an approximation to it, which has just been described, and our own city and time, too many fatal examples of the deleterious effects of this fashion have occurred to permit us to retain any doubts on the subject. The internal constitution of the body predisposing to phthysis, independent of external form, has been generally attributed to scrofula. English authors are particularly fond of making consumption another form of that protein disease. We are much disinclined to concur in this opinion from the fact that the mass of those who labour under the disease in question, and cases too, which after death show that tuberculated state of the lungs, generally ascribed to scrofula, evince no other of the numerous symptoms of that disorder. The supposition that tubercles were scrofulous probably originated from the opinion that they are diseased glands, an idea now sufficiently exploded. This hereditary predisposition we know to exist, but of its mode of action we are totally ignorant. In this city there are many melancholy examples of whole families successively falling victims to consumption and sufficiently proving its hereditary nature. But an hereditary predisposition does not necessarily produce consumption. It is not a common for parents who inherit this taint to remain free from disease of the lungs by the pursuit of laborious occupations. Nor is it more common than the children of these very parents whose active industry had preserved their lives and amassed them wealth should by being unable to indulge in ease and luxury fall victims to an inherited consumption. So the females of a family are sometimes all consumptive, while the males are free from pulmonary disease, in consequence of the more sedentary mode of life of the former. Although no period of life, from infancy to old age, is exempt from consumption, but all are liable to its attack, yet at a particular age it is observed to appear more frequently than at any other. This period commences about, or soon after the age of puberty, and terminates at thirty-six the period at which inflammatory diseases most generally occur. Sex also gives a predisposition to consumption. Females are more frequently affected by it than males. This may be attributed to their greater delicacy of constitution and nervous temperament. Their comparatively sedentary habits of life add to this peculiar constitution. 
but in proper compliance with the requisitions of fashion and taste constitutes not a small part of the greater susceptibility of females to phthisis. Independent of the use of corsets, the small quantity of clothing frequently worn by them, under circumstances when it is most necessary, is a fruitful source of mischief to their health. In the coldest of our winter nights, will these fair devotees of fashion issue from rooms, heated to a degree never experienced in our hottest weather, into the chilling air of midnight, with less clothing than they use at noon, when the sun exerts his greatest power. The next day brings with it a violent cold, and this cold is too frequently the foundation of the consumption which destroys them. Occupation in life is another source of the ravages of this disease. Particular occupations subject those engaged in them to the respiration of air impregnated with foreign materials, irritating the lungs, either by their chemical or mechanical action. Substances acting mechanically upon the lungs are inhaled by stone cutters, millers, hairdressers, bolters, coal heavers, scythe grinders, persons engaged in pointing needles, chimney sweepers, dresses of flax and feathers, spinners of wool, and others employed in similar occupations. Chemical agents are taken into the lungs by manufacturers of acids and all other volatile corroding substances. These materials, constantly acting upon the lungs, produce irritation and slight inflammation, terminating in phthisis. The operation of any of these causes is favoured when the occupation requires a stooping or other awkward posture of the body to be maintained. This cause may act independently of the former also, and hence, students and clerks writing at their desks, tailors, shoemakers, etc., are liable to this disease. To the same causes are frequently added a sedentary life and confinement in hot rooms, hence, a surgeon of London whose opportunities of observation are very extensive relates to the gliders of that city, who work in heated rooms, that six out of seven are said to die consumptive in their apprenticeship. Sedentary habits of life accompanied with hard study and two, intense application of mind, predispose literary men to consumption. Loud public speaking, blowing on wind instruments, glass blowing and other circumstances requiring a laborious and continued action of the lungs produce the same effect. Any one of these causes may frequently exist without injury, but their combined action seldom fails to produce pulmonary disease. Climate was enumerated under the predisposing causes of phthisis. That of our own latitude affords an example. Its variableness, increased by contiguity to the ocean, together with the prevalence of the moist and chilling northeast winds, is probably the agent which produces this effect. The climate of Great Britain is not less unfavourable to health from similar causes, with the addition of its greater moisture, for it is observed that cold combined with moisture is peculiarly dangerous to the consumptive. On the other hand, inland countries not exposed to the moist winds from the ocean, are free from this disease. Hence, the inhabitants of Russia and other parts of the north of Europe, notwithstanding the severity of their climate, are very little affected by consumption. The habits of the people probably assist in producing this immunity from pulmonary disease. Sir John Sinclair, in a communication to Dr. Reed, attributes it in a great measure to the employment of furs, cloaks and other modes of clothing, which preserve an uniformity of warmth throughout the body. To the great care taken by all classes of people to preserve their feet from cold and damp, to the different modes of communicating heat to their apartments, and to the constant use of the vapour bath, similar observations were made by Dr. Cogan, who in a letter to Dr. Bedos remarks that the people of Holland are exempt in a great degree from this disease, so prevalent among the English, and ascribes a difference to the contrast observable between the two countries, in the construction of their habitations, and in the peculiarities of dress. Debility from the want of accustomed stimuli is mentioned by Dr. Hosack as another cause of consumption, and he instances those confined in the state prison, the want of accustomed air and exercise, the deprivation of the use of spirituous liquors and good diet to which the prisoners had been accustomed before their confinement, 
was observed by him to produce this disease. Depressing passions of the mind and a constant too free use of spirituous liquors have also been noticed by authors among the predisposing causes of consumption. The last three causes which I shall notice is the disposition of the system to form calculus deposits in the lungs, generally in consequence of a plethoric habit. Phthysis from this cause, however, is rare. Of 900 patients examined by Bale, only four were of this description. These various causes have either separately or conjointly predisposed the body to phthysis, are more frequently excited into action by a common catarrh, which becomes more active by frequent repetition. The danger arises from catarrh is not a little increased by the popular mode of treating it, stimulating spiritus drinks and a vast. Varieties of remedies are the same class as the usual prescriptions. Almost everybody has an infallible remedy for a cold, some of them innocent, but many injurious. The common prejudice in favour of feeding a cold increases the mischief, and unfortunately the disease not generally affects the system sufficiently to destroy the appetite, as in many of the maladies, nature does not prevent the practice. Abstinence, cooling acidulous drinks, with perhaps a gentle saline cathartic, are the safest and most effectual remedies in curing a common catarrh. One of its usual slight form, at the same time, inhaling warm air by means of Mudge's apparatus, it is a valuable and grateful auxiliary to this treatment. Catarrh is so common and generally so easily cured, without any consequent ill effects, that it is too apt to be neglected. Many a patient, labouring under incipient phthysis, has been supposed to be affected by merely a trifling cold, and the only opportunity for curing the disease has been lost. Quote, the evil becomes irremediable before it calls either the attention of the parents, the friends, or even the physician, who has not been familiarly conservant with the fatal consequences of this disease. End quote. Quotation from Dr. Hosack. Pneumonia is not unfrequently an exciting cause of phthysis. Like catarrh, its frequent repetition is more dangerous than a single attack. Pneumonia may indeed act merely as a predisposing cause of consumption by leaving the lungs in a debilitated and irritable condition, favourable to the production of that disease. But it is an exciting cause when a consequence of inflammation of the lungs, separation follows, and vomica or empyema is the consequence. This shows the close analogy between phthysis, pulmonalis, and ordinary pneumonia. In the first, the inflammation being seated in the cellular and comparatively insensible portion of the lungs is slow and gradual, and the consequent separation forms in the same manner, while in pneumonia, the membranous as well as cellular portion of the lungs being involved in the disease, the inflammation is rapid and violent, and must soon terminate in either resolution or separation. Hence, phthysis pulmonalis was appropriately called by Dr. Rush a pneumonicular. No word could more accurately describe the nature of the disease. That acute observer has drawn an excellent parallel between the two diseases, and concludes with observing, in short, the pneumonia and consumption are alike in so many particulars that they appear to resemble shadows of the same substance. They differ only as the protracted shadow of the evening does from that of the noonday sun. It is remarked, however, that all cases of pneumonia terminating in separation are not necessarily fatal. If a predisposition to phthysis do not exist, or the constitution to be too much debilitated, a vomit may burst and be discharged, and the patient recover. A third exciting cause of phthysis is the suppression of accustomed evacuations. These evacuations of the minces, the lochiae, the discharges in leucorrhea, and from ulcers, fistula, and issues. Retention of the menses produces chlorosis, being a consequence of debility, does not excite primary phthysis pulmonalis, but the secondary form of the disease. Suppression of the menses, however, not unfrequently excites a consumption, bearing all the characters and requiring the treatment of primary phthysis. The plethora, consequent on the cessation of the menses, has often the same effect. Asthma, 
by the constant irritation to which it subjects the lungs, becomes an exciting cause of consumption. Several eruptive diseases, scarlatina, smallpox and measles, often produce the same disease. Morton also enumerates stone in the kidneys and bladder, gout and rheumatism as causes of consumption. By the same author, contagion is supposed to communicate this disease. Morgagni, Van Swayten, Herman Herbert and all hold this opinion, and Morgagni relates that Valsalva, who was predisposed to consumption, was so satisfied of its contagious nature that he constantly avoided being present at the dissection of the lungs of persons who had died of that disorder. Dr. Rush maintains the same doctrine and relates that the late Dr. Beardsley of Connecticut informs him that he had known several black slaves affected by consumption, which had previously swept away several of the white members of the family to which they belonged. In these slaves, no suspicion was entertained of the most distant relationship to the persons from whom they contracted the disease, nor had grief, nor fatigue, been supposed to have had the least share in debilitating their bodies. The force of so much authority with the evidence adduced constrains us to admit the communicability of consumption by contagion. But if this agent has any effect, its action must be extremely limited, and to extend no farther than to those previously predisposed to the disease. For daily examples without number occur of the constant attendance upon those labouring under phthisis remaining perfectly free from that malady. Violence done to the lungs by blows or other injuries of the chest has in some instances excited consumption. Footnote. Dr. Lynn states that out of 360 patients whom he attended between July 1st, 1758 and July 1st, 1760 in consumption, the disease was brought on one-fourth of them by falls, bruises and strains, received a year or two before it made its appearance. End footnote. Foreign bodies conveyed accidentally into the lungs have produced the same effect. Morton relates a curious case where three nails had passed into a person's trachea and destroyed him by inducing consumption. Bale also enumerates a form of phthisis which he calls cancerous, rising in patients on whom the cancerous disposition has become constitutional. It is, however, extremely rare, only three cases having occurred to him among the 900 whom he had examined. Hemoptysis and tubercles are mentioned by most authors as exciting causes of consumption and remain to be examined. So frequently did Dr. Cullen consider hemoptysis the cause of phthisis that he placed the latter disease in his nosology merely as a consequence of the former. The impropriety of this arrangement has been already touched upon. On this subject, I would suggest the following facts. Hemoptysis occurring in persons not predisposed to consumption except the quantity of blood lost be so great as to produce it by mere debility very frequently may be easily cured without danger of any consequent disease. Indeed, not only in such cases consumption is not induced by it but that disease has already been prevented by the occurrence of hemorrhage from the lungs. Relieving that inflammation, which the inert physician, by withholding the lancet, would have suffered to destroy his patient. Dr. Rush relates two cases of inflammatory consumption attended by a hemorrhage of a quart of blood from the lungs, in which the patient recovered, and ascribes their recovery entirely to the loss of blood. Wounds and other injuries of the lungs frequently heal when no predisposition to phthisis exists, as easily as in other parts of the body. Of this fact, also Dr. Rush affords an example. A British officer informed him, a few days after the Battle of Brandywine in September 1777, that the Surgeon General of the Royal Army had assured him that out of 24 soldiers admitted into the hospitals during the campaign of 1776 with wounds of their lungs, 23 recovered. These facts prove sufficiently that the constant motion of the lungs does not prevent the healing processes taking place in them as easily as in other parts of the body. In most instances, the spitting of blood which is supposed to have produced the consumption has occurred a considerable period before the phthisis symptoms appeared. During this interval, perhaps the patient was perfectly well. Can it be supposed that the inflammation necessary to form an ulcer 
and the process of ulceration itself could so long be going on unperceived without producing any rotation of the lungs, is it not more probable that the hemoptysis was recovered from and that the same cause which produced it had length produced the consumption? Hemoptysis, then, I would consider, was very seldom, perhaps never, being the cause of consumption, but in all those cases in which it is assigned as the cause, merely a symptom of the incipient stage of the disease, the symptoms accompanying hemorrhage from the lungs are no other than those of incipient phthisis. They are thus accurately described by Dr. Reed, when subsequent to a sense of weight and oppression in the breast, which scarcely amounts to a feeling of pain, together with cough, difficult respiration, and general lassitude, a quantity of blood is suddenly, and in a convulsive manner, discharged from the mouth, there can remain small doubt respecting the part from which it proceeds. If the discharged blood be of a florid colour, and together with the above symptoms, a saltish taste be perceived in the mouth, and the patient becomes sensible of a degree of irritation in the upper part of the trachea, the nature of the affection is rendered altogether unequivocal. Every symptom here, enumerated, occurs in the early periods of consumption. Nor have any better reason for believing tubercles to be an exciting cause of phthisis. These appearances are indeed very frequently found in dissections of the lungs of those who have died of consumption. Of the 900 patients examined by Bale, 624 had tuberculated lungs. Tubercles were formerly considered as indurated glands and generally attributed to a scrofulous constitution, but we are assured by Bailey in his morbid anatomy that there is no glandular structure in the cellular connecting membrane of the lungs and on the inside of the branches of the trachea, where there are follicles, tubercles have never been seen. These tubercles are roundish bodies of a firm consistence and frequently a cartilaginous structure, but often containing decidedly purulent matter. By the union of several of them, formiae are formed, which are only larger tubercles. May not the formation of these bodies be sufficiently accounted for by the preceding inflammation, and they be considered therefore a consequence, rather than a cause of consumption? Dr. Rush insists that tubercles are the effects, and not the cause of pulmonary consumption, and remarks as a farther evidence of this opinion, that similar tumours are suddenly formed on the intestines by dysentery, and on the omentum by yellow fever. He refers to cases of the former in the dissections of Sir John Pringle, and one of the latter mentioned by Dr. McKittrick in his inaugural dissertation on the yellow fever, published in Edinburgh in the year 1776. Dr. Hosack, in his lectures on the theory and practice of physic, advocates the same doctrine and enforces it by remarking that similar tubercles are formed parenchyma of the brain, the liver and the kidneys, in which no small glands have yet been detected, and where, as in the lungs, there is nothing but cellular membrane and vessels. It is his opinion that it is a union of a number of these cells in a state of congestion that constitutes tubercles or vomonae, that in some instances they heal, the matter is absorbed, and they remain in a serous state, the patient becoming perfectly restored to health, and hence the remark of Dr. Simmons that tubercles may exist without phthisis. These are all the principal predisposing and exciting causes of phthisis pulmonalis. Some few others are mentioned by authors, but they are of either very doubtful agency or too rare to deserve notice. End of section 1. Read by Inkel.